Welcome to the Living in Portland, Oregon podcast with your hosts, Jesse Ray Dow and Jackson Ray Wilkie with the Real Agent Now Group. Real Agent Now Group. From morning coffee to those nighttime brewskis, they are here to tell you what it's like to eat, sleep, drink, play, work, and live in the Rose City. What's up, everybody? This is Jackson Ray Wilkie with the Real Agent Now Group right here in the Portland Metro. Hey, welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is a very touchy subject and something that we are going to address is, is this whole COVID situation in the housing market really going to rival and look the same as the 08 recession? Um, that's the one that we just went through, the one that everybody refers to. Everybody's waiting for this giant crash to buy all these houses for dirt cheap and we actually break it down. These are actual, if you watch the video, we have all of these slides and statistical data, but Jesse's also going to go through all of this very, very deep to try and show five huge differences from the 08 situation to the COVID situation. Now, we are seeing obviously stock market, housing markets change in influx, but is it the same or is it different? So that's what you're gonna find out in this uh, episode. Somehow, some way, uh, some of Jesse's audio got a little bit echoed, but it's still there. It's an incredible podcast, and if you want to know um, the you know difference between or the similarities between COVID and 08, this is the podcast you want to listen to. All right, let's get into it. Okay, I'm going to kick this off. Um, Jesse's really brought us a presentation today, so I'm actually going to shrink us down, get us in the bottom of this screen, <clears throat> and we're going to let Jesse go. Um, and talk about these things. So um, first and foremost, let me get that going. I can hit command four. There we are. Jesse, with um, we'll, we'll get right into it with, with the recession and equaling a housing crisis. This is something you really wanted to touch on first and foremost. Why don't you go? Yeah, I definitely do because we get a lot of clients and a lot of people in the media talking about uh, you know, whether or not 2008 is going to be repeated now with this uh, COVID-19 situation. And it's a very fair question because a lot of people only remember the last recession as being the housing crisis recession. And that's what took the uh, housing market, you know, from a very rapidly growing industry to a complete standstill. But there are five key indicators that we look at of why we do not believe that we are going to see a relapse of 2008. But, um, you know, what we're seeing in today's economical standpoint is very, very, um, you know, we are still seeing houses being sold. We are still seeing very low inventories and we are seeing very steady rates out there. And we have people that are still willing purchasers and people that are still willing buyers. As long as you have a, um, a low inventory, which we would call the supply and a high demand, which is the obviously the demand. It's going to still continue to keep our housing market at a very, very strong position. Okay, so now looking at this chart, this is showing over the course of the last five recessions, what did the housing market do? So as you can see in 1980, the housing market actually grew by 6.1%. In 81, it was 3.5%. In 1991, it dropped 1.9%. 2001, when the tech bubble bursted and we went to that big recession, it still grew by 6.6%. And obviously the one that we know very close and near dear to our hearts was the economical housing crisis recession of 2008, which the housing market dropped 19.7%. I added the great, yeah, I know it's big time. I added the great depression over there on the far left because we saw 27% unemployment rate over about a six year mark. 
yet the housing market only deflated about 7%. So if your house was worth $100,000 back then, by the time that was over, it was worth $93,000. Economists still cannot explain to this day why housing prices do not correlate to the economy and follow the depressions or the recessions of America. And, you know, I do know that there are some key indicators out there of exactly, you know, maybe why the housing market wouldn't follow. It's a core acronym that I like to say. It's a tick, it's trend, indicators, and conditions. And we all know in 2008, the mortgage industry caused the recession. That is why you see such a dramatic drop-off in housing values in 2008 versus all the other recessions leading into that one. All right, so we're going to move on here, Jesse, and this is what you were just talking about, economist projections. Walk us through this. Yes, so in 2019, and they do this every year, they talk to the brightest economists in the United States. This is 100 of the top leading people that study the industry inside and out. So this is from 2019, and this is when they projected a recession would come. So we do hear a lot of people always saying, yeah, that they knew a recession was coming or they predicted a recession was on the way, but nobody foreseen that we were going to have a health crisis. That's what we are in now. We are in a COVID-19 health crisis. A recession is technically multiple quarters in a row of declining economy. Right now, we are in about one month in. So we do not know what the rest of the rest of the year holds, but you can see that out of 100 people here, 46% of them thought that we'd have a recession this year. 24 said it would happen in 2021, and 10 said it would happen in 2021. But the same exact people that predicted a recession also projected that the housing market would continue to grow. As you can see, in 2020, it says it's going to grow by 2.8%. Right here in the Portland metro market, we're growing at about 1%, which is fantastic news because this, the more stable and uh, closer it is to zero, the more of an indicator it is that we are in a very strong market. And then as you can see in 2021 and so on into 2023, it's going to grow. It could grow between 2.5 and 3.4%. So let's just be clear here. We have people that they're saying that a recession is going to hit and the same exact people say that the housing market is going to grow. So that is why another strong indicator that even if we did have a recession, this would not be a repeat of 2008. The next thing we want to talk about is uh, appreciation. So this is really interesting. Why don't you walk us through that? Yeah. So this talks about you know what happened to this previous six years leading into the 2008 versus 2020 time periods. As you can see in 2008, the house home appreciation values were just absolutely soaring. You can see all the way up to 12.5 and 11.4% there in 2005. The market was very volatile. It was up and then stair-stepped again and then stair-stepped again. That's what I talk about. When you see these big swings and increases or decreases, that really indicates a volatile market. And there was also a very, very volatile lending industry and they saw these adjustable rate mortgages so what people were getting is say they were getting a 5-1 ARM. ARM stands for ARM, Adjustable Rate Mortgage. So the first year of their mortgage was say 2%, and then it went to three the following, four the following, five, all the way up until the loan was capped out. You know, sometimes the mortgage would go from $1,500 a month all the way up to $3,000 five short years. Everybody was expecting that housing prices to continue going up and they would be able to sell their house at the end of their adjustable rate mortgage, or they would be able to refi and they would be free and clear. Well, what happened was the market collapsed and that wasn't what happened, which is why we saw 
so many foreclosures on homes because there was just all these false values in the home. But if you look at the last six years here in 2020, the market was very stable. You see it going from 4.4 to 5.2, 5.5, 2017, which is when there was almost zero inventory on the market. It was down to 1.3 months of inventory here in Portland. I sold the house then in my own. I had 24 offers and went for 70,000 over. So that's what happens when you have a very strong demand and no inventory. And then now 2008, 2019, we're at that 4847 mark, which is still, it's very similar to the early or mid 2000, right? Mid 2000, so 15, 16. But in Portland, we are sitting at about a 1% appreciation value, which once again, leads to a very, very strong indicator that our market is very solid. That is one of the reasons out of the five, what makes it different from the 08. So let's get into number two with mortgage credit. Yeah, so this is what caused, for the most part, the industry to collapse. So if you look at a mortgage credit availability index, the higher the index number, the easier it is to get a mortgage. The lower the number is, is harder it is to get a mortgage. So the closer to 100 is the is the lending regulations tightening up. As you can see, in 2004 to 2005, we were at an all-time high of how easy it was to get a mortgage. I remember being at the age of 19 years old, making $10 an hour. I made like 19,000 a year, and I went to the lend, I went to my lender, and I put out an application, and they said I could get a house for 350 grand. <laughs> I remember I was only making $19,000 a year, and my mortgage was about 90, 19,000 a year. So th basically, 100% of my income after taxes was going to go to my mortgage. Now, in today's industry, we have the tightest regulations that we've ever had. Ever since COVID hit, it's tightened up even more. We're at an index of 152.1. So essentially, it's six times harder to get a loan today than it was in 2008, which means a couple of things. One, the lending industry has the best insights for what you are going to be able to afford. When we talk to our clients, we never ask them how much they want to, uh, what, how they want to spend on a house. We always ask them, how much do they feel comfortable spending? And if they tell us they can, they feel comfortable spending two thousand a month. We reverse engineer that backwards for them, so that way they can see the value of the home that they're going to purchase. We never ask them how much of a home they want to buy, and then try to squeeze them into a mortgage. That is completely false. That is completely wrong. Our lenders' commissions are not based on the size of loan you get either. Almost ninety percent of the fees that go into a loan are due to taxes, insurances, and in different regulations. So. Out of a $10,000 loan, $5,000 might go to prepaid taxes and interest for the loan. $4,000 might go to all the prepaids and fees that the state regulates. Then the lender might make $1,000. So 10% of that loan typically only goes to the lender. And when you purchase a home, you know all the real estate fees are paid for by the listing agent's uh, client, so which is the seller. The seller always splits those commissions with the buyer's agents 50-50. So if you're purchasing a home with us, you don't actually pay anything out of pocket for the home purchase uh, of the real estate agent's commission. The listing agent's client, which is the seller, always pays those fees. So, And the listing agent splits those fees. So when you hear someone saying that they are getting charged 5% commission, that listing agent's making 2.5%, the buyer's agent's making 2.5%. Yep, and this is definitely one of the strongest differences from 08 to now. I mean, that friggin' housing bubble, 868, that's that's incredible. 
All right, so now we'll jump into number three. The third difference from 08 to now is homes for sale. Get into the inventory. Yeah, absolutely. So this is another strong indicator that there was an issue. You had all of these people buying houses. You guys remember all of your friends and family saying that they were selling a house and making $100,000, $200,000 in profits, and there was enough buyers out there. The thing was, is when we had tons of inventory back then, as you can see in here, sometimes it was up into the, you know, 10% range, 12% range. In Portland, it got up into 20% range after the market collapsed. But even at the height of the economy, or in 2006, 2007, it was sitting at that 8, 9% mark. That's crazy when you have so many people buying houses with unregulated lending processes. So when you have a high supply and a high, a high available asset pool from the banks, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be a lot of fraud. There's going to be a lot of people out there purchasing houses. And what they thought is they could buy a house today for 200000 and sell it in five years and make you know $200,000, which we knew that eventually that would completely dissipate and go away. But if you look, and that was in that, in the, in that time frame, we were actually sitting in a buyer's market, mm -hmm. which means that we had six or more months of inventory. So, or sorry, seven or more months. Four to six is a balanced market and anything below four is a seller's market. Currently, if you look at the previous months leading into our current state of time, we are sitting at into a what we call a seller's market. Currently in Oregon alone, we're at 1.8 months of inventory. So if we were stopped listing houses today, we would actually run out of houses in 1.8 months. But let me say something to be clear about this. In March, we got the report exactly a month ago. We were sitting at 1.9. So everyone's like, oh, this is before COVID, blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah. The thing was, since COVID hit, our inventory has actually decreased. Yes, there's less buyers out there, but we're having less sellers put their houses on the market, and we are still having the same amount of people buy houses. I said in my last video that 50% of those houses were going back on the market, but even with that said, we are still seeing our inventory decrease. So those back-on-the-market houses aren't actually affecting the inventory rates. With that said, we are still in a very tight competitive market, and like I like to say is People aren't stupid out there. People know what they're getting themselves into, and they know what they're doing when they sell their houses. If somebody needs to sell their house, they're going to sell their house. We know that there's a lot of built-in equity in our um, in our clients' you know portfolio, but we'll get into that in a few minutes. But I, I just want to reference real quick, if you have not seen it, we did do a market <laughs> update for Oregon and Washington. We did an entire video on that last week, so you guys can watch and get way more information on that. So with that being said, the use of equity slide number four, the difference here. Let's go through that. Yeah, so the use of equity. You know, a lot of people are using their houses like piggy banks. You know, they were doing cash out refinances. And as you can see here, year 2005 to 2007, there was over $824 billion in assets being used out of their house. That means people pulled that money out they were buying secondary vacation homes. They were buying their, their dream car that they always had. They were buying a boat. You know, they're going on lavish vacations and then they blew the money. And guess what? When they thought they're going to sell their house down the road, they couldn't, or they needed to refi at a lower rate. And guess what? There was no equity in their house. If you look out cash out refinancing in today's market in the last three years, there's only $232 billion out there. Typically what people use is cash out refis for or remodeling their houses. Maybe their child's going to college. Maybe they um, you are maybe they are using that money to put a uh, nest egg down to buy a secondary rental property or something. But that's why it's so important to work with a professional mortgage advisor 
to teach you exactly what the benefits are to using your funds. Because when you do need to make a decision on using, utilizing some assets, you're making the best decision possible for you and your family. And without any further ado, this is an incredible slide. <laughs> Number five, talk about just how much equity on average people have these days. Yeah, so when I mentioned earlier that I believe that people aren't stupid and there isn't a way out if they needed to get a way out, a couple of things. One is America right now is doing everything they can to protect the home buyer, whether it's really, really strong uh, lending guidelines, whether it's you know com people getting company assistance with you know mortgage forbearances and letting people pay their mortgages a few months late if they need to. Maybe it's uh, doing the same thing with your car loan or your credit card bills being delayed. There's so much assistance and so it's so great to see everyone pulling together on this because like i said it is a health crisis people aren't just doing dumb things that cause us to go into a crisis situation but here's a mind-blowing stat and why is it, it's another strong indicator why we are not going to see what everyone thinks we're going to see in 2008 53.8 percent of all homes in america have at least 50 percent equity in their home that means that number blew my mind but it actually was very, very on par of what I see as a realtor. We see that one third of all home sales and purchases here are actually done with cash. This stat actually says that 37% of all houses in America are owned outright free and clear. That means they have no loans on them. So if someone doesn't need to pay a mortgage, why would they feel that they need to go into foreclosure? We can see right here that one third of the houses are already protected. 26.7% of the houses have over 50% equity. So these people have so much insight and they have so many options if they did get stuck into a hard position. If you look back when the market was actually in 2005, 2006, people were overextending themselves and had very, very minimal equity in their houses. I think the number was um, the average person only had, I think like 13% equity in their house because they were all overextending them and they were falsified numbers of how much the home value is actually at we're going to just wrap this thing up real quick but in your opinion like how did this happen how did 54 percent of people have more than 50 percent equity um you know here in the last few years yeah so what it is is you know a lot of these people took advantage of buying houses when they were in foreclosure back in 2010 2011 2012 and what we see is the average person cycles through a home every seven to ten years mm -hmm. so right now would be the you know the most common time that if people bought in that time period that they're buying again and with the value of homes increasing you know every year after year more than likely the value of the homes have gone up based on natural um natural value increases due to natural appreciation values so when you have a very small amount of inventory available and you go to put your house on the market, you're gonna get fair market value. In today's industry, when we put houses on the market, we put them on to sell in the first week because we all know that the longer a house sits on the market, the more likely someone's gonna come in and lowball their offer because they already see the house has been sitting on the market. That's why we can look at true market values of homes and we look at the comps in the neighborhood. And then obviously there's some give and takes based on you know its location, its condition, and um, you know that, just location condition right. that's, yeah just location and condition pretty much all right so there is the proof in the pudding the stats the data there are huge differences between 08 and where we're at now but let's just sum and wrap everything up your thoughts opinions yeah absolutely so like the bottom line is like i mentioned earlier the acronym tick trends indicator conditions 
as we know the trends, what are the trends? They are, we have low inventory and we still have a lot of buyers out there. Interest rates are still very, very smooth. And the lending industry is got the highest regulations that we've ever seen. People have more assets built into their house than ever before. So I still think that we're going to see a very, very solid market moving forward. You know, I don't have a magic eight ball. I do not know what's going to happen in the future. But with the government and with, you know, big businesses and employers really working together to, you know, make sure that everyone is protected, people are being very forgiveful. And I would even say that even if somebody did foreclose on their house due to the corona situation, I do think there's going to be some very, very big mitigation talks at the table to help these consumers out. Because even if you do fall behind on your home payment, you can still go to mitigation with the title companies or with your bank and try to work out a plan to get the house sold so therefore you're not buried. Also, one thing I will note is that buying a bank-owned house in today's time is way different than it was buying a bank-owned house in 2010. In 2010, people were just dumping inventory because the government bailed them out and gave them all their money already. In 2020, guess what? When you buy a bank-owned house, that bank owns the title of the freaking deed. So therefore, they're wanting to get all of their money out of the house. I've written multiple offers on multiple bank-owned houses at full price, and it's been rejected because not only does the bank want the money for the house, but they also want to be able to cover the realtor's fees. So that's why you're not seeing a lot of foreclosures out there in the market. Also, you need to see at least six uh, inventory level of six to even see us start to hit the foreclosure market. So we still have such a giant shift to go back the other way, which we haven't seen since like 2010 Mm -hmm. to even get us in the foreclosure land. Yeah. So a really cool stat that I just read is that during, uh, you know, the 2008, 2010 post housing crisis situation, we were seeing about a four to 5% national average of foreclosures, which meant, you know, short sales, auctions, foreclosures. Um, you know, right now, we are actually seeing under a 1% rate of foreclosures. Good. So, I mean, the number has gone down significantly, about 80% down. Over the course of the last 100 years, someone might think like, oh, that number is very small. What does that even matter? Over the course of the last 100 years, that average nationally has been 3% year over year. So, I would say that, you know, it's very unlikely that this would ever cause us to see what happened in 2008 again, because what happened in 2008 was that we were being frauded by the government with the lending industry. People were creating money that didn't exist. They were falsifying home values that weren't out there. Lending industries have gotten tighter. We've seen it in the stats here. People have more money and equity built in their house than ever before. They have many more options to exit if need be. But the best thing that I can even advise you to do is just talk to your local lender or your real estate agent if you are in a position that that happens because there are refinancing options. There are home equity line of credits available. There's so many different safety nets out there to make you feel protected. And I do want to state that if anybody does want to have a private conversation one-on-one, I'd be more than happy to jump on a Zoom call and have those conversations just to see what we can do for you. And if you ever just want to chat data. I love talking about numbers and I love looking at history. Yeah, this is absolutely what happens. Um, We get calls, text messages, emails every day. And Jesse has these open conversations with you. And so I think the one thing that he's stated over and over in a lot of these videos is we're never pushing you to anything. In fact, we're going to um, really work through everything. Get you here, make you understand a neighborhood, the housing market, the equity, everything. So that is a huge difference. And Jesse pours a lot of time and effort, as you saw, into helping every client. So... That's all we got for today. To learn more about Portland, 
make sure you hit that subscribe button and please leave us a review and make sure you check them out and subscribe to their youtube channel living in portland oregon and follow them on instagram facebook twitter and pinterest if you are even thinking about moving or relocating to the portland metro or southwest washington make sure to give them a call shoot them a text or send them an email because they got your back when moving to the portland metro